Welcome, friends, to the Miles with Marty podcast. This is home base for running community love, and we're sponsored by Squirrels Nut Butter. Spread the lube, and your blister and chafing problems will go away. You can thank me later. Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome to the Miles with Marty podcast. This is episode 27, and it's a real treat. I get the opportunity to chat with a new friend that I made at the Daytona 100, Billy Rusa. Billy is a guy that's originally from Buffalo, New York, but currently lives in Austin, Texas, and he's very new to the running scene. He just did his first 100-miler back in November of this year and then turned around four weeks later and did the Daytona 100. He has big dreams, and he's a super awesome guy and inspiring, and I think you're going to like his story. Before I jump into his story, I'm going to go ahead and share a little bit of my Daytona recap. I have had every intention of doing a full episode with my crew just to kind of get their perspective on how the race went and along with my input, but we just can't get together on time. And so I'm just going to have to do it and maybe get them at a later date because as old as I am, I'm going to forget about my part before long. I'm usually very wordy, so I'm going to try to keep this brief. So my wife and I left Georgia on early Friday morning uh, with the intention of driving down to Ponce to our Airbnb that we had there, drop her off and our luggage, and then I was going to drive back to my hotel for Friday night at the near the race start at the Courtyard, which was the host hotel for the race expo. We got a little bit of a late start, of course, because I am an overpacker and I had to spend a lot of time packing crap into my truck. But And so the timing, uh, I was panicked a little bit about getting her dropped off and getting back to Daytona in time for the uh, panel discussion that they had planned. I really wanted to attend that. As fate would have it, I got to the hotel just in time to get checked in, take my stuff to the room, and go to the expo and get my bib, and then sit down for the experts panel just in time for the start. I saw some good old friends and met several new friends and got some really good information at the experts panel. I'm really glad I made it to that. My crew chief, Mike Martinez, ended up coming over after the expert panel was over and went to dinner with me at Carabas for my routine uh, chicken parm that I like to do before big race. After dinner and before Mike left that night, he made me promise that I would not carry my luggage down from my room the next morning before the race. I think he had heard that in the experts panel. We set a time to meet at around 5 o'clock the next morning. He said they would come to my room. Well, I hate to put Mike's business all out in the street like this, but uh, I think the Carabas didn't sit too well with him because he had some GI issues the next morning. And I think they had to stop a couple times on the way over to the hotel, making them a little late. Of course, with me being a nervous wreck, because this was my first 100-miler, and I tend to show up at the starting line an hour early anyway, I started to get nervous about them not showing up on time. So I went ahead and left to carry my luggage myself. It was really no big deal. It might have weighed 15 pounds. Anyway, I get down to my truck, and they're just arriving, and we're getting everything organized. 
make a long story short, we end up getting to the start line about 10 minutes before the start. And looking back on it now, it was probably a good thing because I didn't really have a chance to be nervous too long, just long enough to warm up and then bam, time to start. So I have no complaints about that and definitely hold no hard feelings toward Mike or the crew for getting there at the last minute. I understand what happens when you got to go, you got to go. Being 57 years old, a little nervous, and having had two cups of coffee before the start of the race, I paid an ultimate price in those first seven miles. The first seven miles actually go north away from Daytona, from Jacksonville Beach, and turn around. And uh, it goes up three and a half miles and turn around and comes back. And in that seven miles, I'm pretty sure I peed nine times. One of the very few positives that came out of the hurricane damage from a couple of weeks before the race was that there were a lot of porta potties parked along the street at houses where construction work was being done to make repairs. So I stopped at practically every other block to pee during that first seven miles. Eventually, I got back to even with the start line and started heading my way south towards Daytona. I saw my crew the first time right there at about the start line. So it was about the seven mile mark and swapped out water bottles and got maybe a gel or something and didn't see them again till Mickler's Landing, which was mile 16. That little stretch from the start line at, right there at Jacksonville Beach to through uh, Ponte Vedra to Mickler's Landing was it's an awesome neighborhood with lots of big houses. And you run right past the uh, golf course where the famous Island Green is in Ponte Vedra. At this point, there were still lots of runners in front of and behind me. So uh, the energy was good all along the way. Plus, you met up with lots of people just kind of walking down the sidewalk in those neighborhoods. When I got to Mickler's Landing, which was about mile 16, I got to meet up with my crew and to pick up my first paycheck, which was Chris Twiggs. I also had an Egg McMuffin waiting on me there, so I was able to get in some good calories and swap out my handheld bottle with some full fluids. I can't take the credit for a whole lot of brilliant decisions in my life, but one thing I can take credit for is I had the bright idea that with Chris, who is a professional pacer for the most part, he's paced dozens of races, maybe hundreds of marathons, and he he's a Galloway uh, coach, and I run the Galloway Method and Ultras, and so I just thought it would be a good idea to run with him because he could get me off to a good rhythm and to keep my heart rate down in check so I could be stronger towards the end of the race. And man, that paid off in spades. He kept me at a solid pace for a good 20 miles. I mean, literally every mile was in, you know, 15 seconds of each other until it started getting warmer and we slowed down on purpose to keep the heart rate down. Chris took me all the way to the St. Augustine aid station, which was run by Runners for Recovery. And since they're my people, uh, it was awesome. It was like coming home to get there. They had lots of good food and lots of energy. While I was running with Chris, the crew probably met me like every five miles or so. I don't remember exactly how often, but uh, of course they were right on 
point they had the drinks ready for me when I asked for it. They swapped out my stuff. They insisted that I take in calories and, and made offerings from things that I had put on my spreadsheet. And they were just really uh, spot on. The only bad thing from the experience with Chris pacing is Saturday, the day that at the mo- the time that he was pacing me was the drawing for the Hard Rock 100 race. Now, Chris is a 16-time finisher of Hard Rock, and he's never in those 16 years missed being pulled as a runner in the race. And this year, while running with me, he did not get pulled. So I take some credit for him not being able to run his 17th Hard Rock in 2023. And that's not a good thing to have credit for. Luckily, he don't blame me or he would not be my friend right now. But I do blame myself to some extent. I picked up my good friend and crew member Jackie Jobes as a pacer at mile 35 or 36 right there at the St. Augustine aid station and she took me through the city of St. Augustine and part of it was painful. I got some calf cramps right in the first mile or so that she and I ran and so the first mile or so maybe first two miles with her she was very patient with me and allowed me to suffer and complain and didn't react. It had gotten to the hot part of the day about three in the afternoon and I didn't really have much of an appetite. And I credit Jackie with helping me to get to a spot to where I was able to get something down and to get my appetite back. And the cure was ice cream. We kept passing these ice cream shops. And I don't know if it was her idea or mine, but one of us said, some ice cream sure does sound good. And uh, next thing you know, she called the crew and they had stopped and gotten me a scoop of chocolate and a scoop of vanilla ice cream. And it was spectacular. I ate every bit of it. Before that ice cream, my running had slowed down significantly. But but very quickly after we ate that ice cream, I was able to get back to running at a decent pace. I picked up pacer number three, Josh Fraser, right on the southern outskirts of St. Augustine at that aid station on the outside, the south side of St. Augustine. And we ran about 10 miles together, I want to say. And that was a good experience. I didn't know Josh at all before that. And so we got to know each other, told some stories, and I really enjoyed that. It went by really fast. I want to say that was about mile 42 to 52 or something like that. And right around mile 52 is when we met up with my good friend, Tina Wolf. Now we had planned on Tina being a pacer with me for several months, but not until with about maybe a month left and before the race did she find out that she was going to be the main pacer and would be needed to do a whole lot more miles than we had first thought. I want to say her longest training run before going into this was 13 or 15 miles, something like that. So mile 52 or 50, wherever it was that I picked up with Tina, is somewhere just on the north side of Marineland. So we ran through Marineland and then down into Palm Coast area and Flagler Beach. Now we had a plan with my coach Dawn Lizenby that she was going to pick me up at somewhere in Flagler Beach. She lives in that area and she had a certain mile marker that she had mentioned And looking back, I think Dawn was using the mile markers from last year's race, which she ran, 
and it was different from this year's race because the new race director, Bob Becker, had changed it a little bit. So our mile markers where we had planned on connecting was two or three miles off. We originally met up at the Publix parking lot right there in the Palm Coast area by the, near Palm Coast Villas, but she was not ready to jump in running yet. And so there was some confusion there. But Tina, the trooper, she kept on going and without one com- little bit of complaint. I think in Tina's first shift as pacer, I think she probably did 12 miles or so, maybe 15, before I hooked up with Dawn. And then I ran about 10 miles with Dawn. Yep, and you guessed it. Tina jumped back in with me after Dawn finished up and ran pretty much the rest of the race except for the last four miles. I think Tina ended up with right at 50 miles for the race in pacing which is freaking amazing for more than one reason. I mean, Tina never complained. She never asked the crew for anything. I'm sure she ate stuff, but I never noticed her need anybody to do anything for her. So she pretty much took care of herself and never complained one time about anything and would always go as fast or as slow as I wanted to go. I mean, she was like the perfect pacer, but she would never even would come think about letting me quit, which I never said I wanted to quit, but she never would let me entertain any thoughts of slowing down or sitting down or things like that. So huge props go to Tina. She is an awesome friend and a great crew and pacer. Just to go back to my time that I was running with Coach Dawn, that at the time that she picked me up, I was doing intervals, I want to say, 45 second run a 30 second walk or maybe vice versa we kind of flip-flopped on those depending on what my heart rate was at but when dawn picked me up she said well i'm just going to set the intervals and you just follow along and uh, we'll see what happens so i had just changed and put on some new socks and shoes before i started with dawn so i had some fresh energy and we started running longer intervals than i had run pretty much all day and for that 10 miles, we made some really good time, and it picked my energy and my adrenaline level up big time. I found out later that she upped the intervals to a one-minute run and 30-second walk for that 10 miles. During this time, we got to go through the Badwater Aid Station at Gimble Rogers Park, and Chris Cosman and Bernadette. Dubois and some others were there. They had some really good stuff, bacon and stuff like that, grilled cheese, and just the energy and the hugs there was awesome. And then I want to say eight or 10 miles later, we get to about mile 85, 86 and Lulu's aid station. And I came across my good friend JD McGee and Mark Kudak there. And it was just a great energy at that aid station. And that was about the last aid station that I was at where I was feeling really good because just a few miles after that, my feet started hurting really bad. I spent a lot of time uh, this year, well, in 2022, doing running on pavement to prepare for Daytona, but nothing prepared me for the amount of steps that I took on uh, pavement on that hard You know, sidewalk pavement is even worse than the pavement that's on a street. And part of the rules were that is if there's a sidewalk, you're supposed to be running on it. So it was really tough. And right there with about a half marathon to go, 13 miles to go, something like that, 
I started really feeling it on the bottom of my feet, especially my left foot. And at some points, I thought that I may have a stress fracture. That's just kind of something that I always seem to think when I have pain. (laughs) Eventually, somewhere around mile 90 or 92, something like that, the pain got so bad that I stopped running and just started mostly walking. And that went on for a good hour, maybe an hour and a half. So I would say two or three miles. I remember needing to use the bathroom at some point during this, and I was in the porta potty alone with my thinking, and I had this thought, you know, it really hurts like hell to walk, so why not go ahead and run and see how that feels? And I found out that it didn't really hurt any worse to run than it did to walk, so we started back doing some running intervals at that point. Somewhere right around mile 94, 95, we ended up randomly running into my buddy Jason Harnum out on the course. It really wasn't random with him. I think he was tracking me and made a point to go out there and try to connect with us, but it really caught me by surprise. He came up behind me and said, hey, is that Miles with Marty? And uh, I thought it was uh, some homeless person back there behind me, and I turned around, and it was Jason, and it just really lifted my spirits I stopped and took a picture with him and talked to him for a minute or two. And and then he jumped in his van and ran ahead to the finish line and ended up meeting us at the finish line. And that was super cool. So somewhere with about, I want to say, three or four miles to go, Dawn comes back and catches up with us. And she jumps in and takes Tina's place for the last three or four miles. By then, it's Sunday morning, and it's probably around 10 a.m., so the sun has come back up, and it's gotten warm again. But, uh, you know, I've got the finish line in my sight, and I'm back to doing some decent run intervals. Not going real fast at all, but at least I am moving forward at a decent clip, better than I was at some slower points in the race, for sure. I can honestly say with the foot pain that I had, and I was nervous that something was just going to collapse and I was not going to be able to put any weight on it. So I didn't really know or didn't feel confident that I was going to finish the race till I actually rounded that curve and could see the lighthouse in view. And that was like with maybe a quarter of a mile, maybe a half a mile to go at best. And then I tell you what, my crew met me with about a quarter mile to go. And we all ran in together and we come around this corner and, you know, I'm going to get a little emotional talking about it because this means so much to me. But uh, we come around the corner and there's Jason on his scooter and he's leading the way. And then my wife is standing there and she, you know, I'll go up and hug her and she joins us and runs. And it's just so important to me that she got to kind of run in with us because even though she wasn't a part of the crew, She was my crew in every freaking training run and thing that I did all year in building up to that race. She's my, she's the one that listens to me whine at home after long training runs and, and go to bed early at night because I get up early to do training runs and she puts up with all of my stuff and, and put up with all of the money that I've spent on going to races and running shoes. And, and it was just such a powerful thing to be able to share that moment with her. Uh, right before I ran across that finish line. And if you saw me, you could tell that I was sobbing when I hugged her uh, there because it was a special moment. But anyway, we all ran together through that finish line, and uh, it was the most 
other than, you know, the birth of my children and some of the other, you know, precious moments in my life. It was one of the most special moments that I've ever experienced to, to complete a hundred miler, you know, and not to toot my own horn, although I worked my butt off to get to that point, but to complete something like that is, is truly a team effort. And, uh, and it's hard, man. It's really hard. And, and to get it done, I, I really felt uh, fulfilled and, uh, and happy at that exact moment. I didn't know if I would ever do another hundred miler again because I had experienced a good bit of pain. But within 24 hours or so, I knew, oh, hell yes, I'm going to do another one. Probably 10 more of them at least. <laughs> I love this shit. I love the training, the preparation for it. I love the community, the aid stations, the volunteers, the crew, the camaraderie that you have between the runners. I mean, it's just a freaking awesome experience all the way through every single detail. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And uh, I love it. I found my home. I want to give a big shout out to my crew, starting with the crew chief, Mike Martinez. Just an awesome guy. Great energy. Fantastic megaphone speaker and just an all-around good guy and really knows how to bring the energy not only to his runner, but to every other freaking runner in the race, too. Then I had Jackie Jobes and Michelle Marie. They are just two awesome ladies. They both just went above and beyond anything I could have expected. I mean, Jackie, she wouldn't take no for an answer when I didn't really want to take any calories in. And uh, she, you know, she said she would hand me a Coke and I would act like I take a sip of it. And she would say, I can tell you didn't drink any of that. You just put it up to your lips. And uh, she really was tough on me when she needed to be. And uh, I so appreciate that. I mean, between her and Michelle, they rubbed and slathered stuff on my feet and applied lube in between my toes and stuff like that and helped change my shoes and socks. I mean, they just were went above and beyond, and I love those people and would do anything for them. They're just special people. My pacers, Chris, who set the tone at the beginning with just a solid, even rhythm, and I don't think I could have finished that race if it wouldn't have held me back and kept me at a solid, easy pace for those, you know, in those early miles. And then, you know, he turned me over to Josh, and Josh was definitely not an experienced pacer, but he just kind of let me lead the way, and uh, he kept me entertained, and uh, he did his job, and, and I am truly appreciative for that. And then Tina, the beast, jumped in, and she knocked out, you know, 15 miles or so, and then for Dawn, and then Dawn jumped in, and she helped me to get my confidence to go faster, and then she finished, helped me to finish up strong. And, uh, you know, but, and Tina, I mean, 50 miles of a hundred miler pacing. I mean, what can you say? It was just, just freaking incredible. And all of them together, just, it was like the perfect mix. I really believe that it was God inspired for me to, to ask those particular people. And I don't know that I could have completed the race if it was if we would have been missing one person out of that whole group, it was just a, such a special group. And I will love those people and treasure that experience for the rest of my life. Okay, I'm done with that. I'm going to cry all night now that I've shared that experience. I really and truly hope that I can get my crew together one day and get them on a podcast to share their side of this story 
because it probably looked entirely different to them. <laughs> but until then, without further ado, I'm going to share with you my interview with Billy Rusa. Also goes by Kanga Wusa on Instagram, and he's just a funny dude, an energetic guy, and an awesome guy, and, and, a, and a new friend. And I hope you enjoy my talk with him. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Miles with Marty podcast. I've got Billy Rusa on the line. Is, is that the right way to pronounce it? Yes, sir. I appreciate you uh, pronouncing it correctly because everyone usually says Rosa. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a, a former employer that was uh, named Rosa, and he only had one O, so that was what what gave me the clue. <laughs> yeah, I think I think people uh, get the the conception of you know, Theodore Roosevelt. Really oh, yeah. he's got the two O's, but you think it'd be pronounced Theodore Roosevelt, but I guess not. <laughs> Right. Well, I thought that was pretty cool that, uh, I guess, is your uh, Instagram idea, is it Kangaroosa? Uh, Kangaroosa. Yes. Oh, Kangaroosa. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you ever watched the movie Big Daddy with Adam Sandler back yeah. in the day. That's where it derives from is the Kangaroo song, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. But anyway, I've got Billy on here because I met him at the Daytona 100 finish line. He and I kind of flip-flopped a little bit during the race, and he always had a super positive energy. And he and I were like uh, like-minded. You know, I, I, that's the way I try to keep it super positive in races and encourage everybody and smile. And and Billy was doing a lot of the same. And so he also had some really cool-looking uh, American red, white, and blue shorts at least at the, it was almost like a onesie like thing going on at the finish line and i yes, thought sir. that was cool too but uh i wanted to talk to billy and get his uh you know find out his running story and then hear a little bit about the uh, race recap and so i guess we'll start billy by i want to thank you for joining me absolutely well thanks for having me this is my first time ever on a podcast and uh, i appreciate you having me on your your show here all right. I'll try to be gentle. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, to start things off, just tell us a little bit about your running story. Uh, you know, how long you've been running, what got you into it and that kind of thing. Boy, well, I don't have much of a running story, Marty. Uh, I started <laughs> running last year. In fact, um, how it all started was I'm not sure. Have you ever heard of the four by four by 48 by David Goggins? Yep. Definitely. So last last March, uh, I'm a I'm a fence and deck contractor. I have my own business here, and I went out on an estimate, and a gentleman uh, was wearing a David Goggins shirt, and we just got to you know shooting the shit about David Goggins, and he asked me, "Are you going to do the four by four by forty eight? And I was like, "No, I'm not a runner. In fact, I've probably logged maybe you know a dozen miles over the last couple of years." He's like, "Oh, come on, you know you got to try try something new." So long story short, I I tried it, and I. I kind of walked half of it, but what when I came away from that four by four by forty eight back in in March was just that that feeling of accomplishment in just doing something that uh, was just different. And so for two months, I actually I didn't run at all, but uh, just the the wheels were spinning, and I just missed that feeling of how sore I was from going straight off the couch to running uh, forty eight miles. And for anyone listening, if you're not familiar with it. The goal is we start, you know, on Friday at 8 p.m. You run four or you can walk uh, four miles every four hours for 48 hours. So you kind of 8 p.m., then midnight and 4 a.m. And really the four hours 
you know, the four miles isn't the hard part. It's just the discipline of waking up, you know, like 4 a.m. and 8 a.m. That was really the hardest part. It wasn't actually when you get out there. But, yeah, that's really how it all started. And then just uh, on a whim, I think it was in May, I post on my Instagram how I am just an impromptu signed up for a 100-mile ultra. <laughs> and I had never run consistently more than I think it was a 10K. I never ran about five or six miles of the most at that point I had done. So wow. there's a reasoning behind that too. I'm I'm a huge procrastinator, Marty. I'm, I'm one of those guys back in school where if we had to sell the candy bars and you know, gave me a hundred candy bars to sell. I'd wait till the last second to, <laughs> to sell them, you know, like, and the same thing I knew if I was just going to sign up for a half marathon, I probably wouldn't have taken it seriously. I would have woke up the morning of, so I realized I have to go all or nothing. So, uh, I gave myself a six month window and, uh, that's how it all started. November 5th, I ran my first 100 mile ultra in Folsom, California, the Rio del Lago 100 and, uh, made it by I think it was 30 minutes. And then I met you a month later. I just signed up and prompt to uh, for another race. So that's, that's really kind of the story. There's not much to it. That's kind of my running career. And it's only about seven, eight months long. <laughs> wow. That's, this might be the shortest podcast in podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm, um, yeah. I'm kidding. So, yeah. Uh, so there's lots of, to uh, dig out of this, uh, that six months then. So what did you get online and Google like training plans for hundred milers or what did you do? Oh yeah. So what I lack in just um, kind of being procrastination, I'm a huge analytical and research uh, person. So I really do- dove into these races. I knew I didn't want to do something that was super mountainous at elevation because I do experience altitude sickness, but I also didn't want to do like a cupcake where it was kind of you know, super flat. So the Rio del Lago, I mean, I think the highest point of it is 2,500 feet. So you don't get that hard to breathe, but the elevation gain, I think uh, when it was all done, my Strava said it was close to 10,500. So yep. it was pretty, it was pretty tough in the weather. You know, uh, I went as deep as going the last 10 years historically, and it was always between 55 and like 65 and it never rained. And of course this year it rained and it, it caused a lot of people to drop, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a great beginner race. I'd recommend for a lot of people that are just getting into it because I think there was 300 and about 20 people that signed up and there was a hundred, I think they said 140 some people were first timers. Wow. And even, uh, in Dean Carnassus, and I didn't know at the time who he was. Cause like I said, I'm new to this whole running thing, but I actually, didn't realize at the time, but I put in a couple miles next to him until my buddy crew and me told me, do you know who that is? <laughs> so it was a lot of newbies, a lot of legends, and it was a hell of an atmosphere. I'd highly recommend it to anyone if you're a veteran or even you know newbie like me. That's how I found that race. It was a good one. Noted. <clears throat> I always like to add races on my <clears throat> bucket list, so i definitely note that. So well, going back to before the training started, so what made you decide the 100-mile distance? Uh, I know you said what you said about the half marathon. Well, it was specifically just because uh, you, it, it needed to be that far for you to commit to doing the training? Yeah, so yeah, there's two reasons. I guess you should back up. I mean, I'm not totally new to um, to fitness. I mean, I've been probably working out in the gym hard for, you know, it, 10 years. So my style of working out isn't cardio. Um, it's lifting heavy weights. So ever since I got done, you know, wrestling in high school and college, 
I kind of was scarred for life from cardio, from all the <laughs> jumping rope and hot showers, with the trash bag on and running laps just to lose weight. So I, I really had no intention of ever doing cardio again. So then I went, you know, naturally to the gym to, to lift weights. And so why I felt like getting into running is because, you know, kind of David Goggins and there's this mantra of being comfortable with the uncomfortable and I'm uncomfortable with cardio. And what I kind of really <laughs> love about running is it's very similar to lifting weights. You know, like, I mean, when you lift weights for 10 years, I can lift weights that say, for instance, some maybe as yourself, if you just started out, it's going to take you a long time. And that's how running is. It was very frustrating at first because I have friends that run six, seven, eight minute miles. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'll do a year of running and hopefully I can be there, but it's the same as working out. I mean, you, you can't just, you know, go out and do 10 pushups and expect next week to bench 400 pounds. It's the same thing. You got to put the time in. And I think that's why running is so appealing to me is because I'm back, you know, a rock bottom. I forgot that feeling of day one in the gym where I was puny and I, you know, wasn't able to do the things that I looked up to people. And that's kind of how running is. I look up to these people that are running sub three hour marathons and I'm about to run a marathon and I know I'm not even going to crack sub four, but it gives me something to look forward to maybe in four or five years where I'm like, there was a point in time where Billy Rusick could not run a sub four. And here we are. And maybe someday I'll run a sub three, but I'm not sure that's really my goal. Cause I love this ultra running and <laughs> marathons don't really appeal to me because the, for many reasons, but, but yeah, that's kind of why I guess I got into running too. Yeah. Well, that's a good one. You know, going back to, David Goggins, man, it's amazing how many people out there that I've talked to, not just on the podcast, but just talked to out there in, in the middle of races <clears throat> that he's influenced and and what, you know, they may not, he may not have influenced them all to be ultra runners. So, you know, a lot were already runners. Like I was already running races, but the little things that his two books have done for me, mm -hmm. like for instance, I remember I guess it was, excuse me, just a couple of years ago when the first book came out, Can't Hurt Me. Yes. yes I was, I had, I had joined a gym that had an indoor track just so I wouldn't have to run outside <laughs> on, on the cold days. And so, and then, so I meant I'm running around that dang track and it was a 12th of a mile loop. So 12 laps to make a mile. So it was boring as hell. But anyway, yes. I'm running around that track and listening to his audio book. And, you know, I hear that thing about, you know, you got to do the things that make you uncomfortable if you want to ever improve, you know, basically what you just said. And <clears throat> so I said, I'm in here, you know, so I dropped out of that gym and started doing those runs outside in the cold, basically, you know, and, and, and to, instead, you know, and that track is perfectly flat, no hills at all. And so, and I've got a perfectly good place here that I can leave out of my driveway and go and run around this college. And, you know, it's a safe area where you don't have to worry about getting run over. And uh, but there's lots of hills and it's very cold and, you know, on some days. But it has made me so much more of a better runner mentally and physically, you know, because I made that little jump, you know, and there, <clears throat> I could sit here and probably name five more things that his book has influenced me, you know, to make different decisions like that. And, and not really just in the uh, physical part, but even in my work life, you know, I, I was, I was, cause I just finished his newest book and uh, I was sitting at my desk at work 
the other day and I looked over at this. It was like a little bit of a mess that somebody had left in my office. And I had looked over at it two or three times that week. And I was waiting on somebody to clean it up. You know what I mean? But yeah, you know, one thing that he talks about is, you know, if, why not do it right now? <laughs> if you exactly. look, if something needs to be done, go ahead and do it right now. Don't think about it, you know. And uh, so anyway, you know, I could talk, I could talk a long time about that. He's, he's a super inspiring guy. A lot of people make fun of him. And I, I think part of that is because they're jealous. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if it's kind of what he says, I mean, uh, or like Cam Haynes is another person. He had a very great quote or no, I think it was actually Coggins. He said, I've never uh, met a hater that was doing better than me. And it kind of goes along with the people that you're saying that are making fun of them. They're probably the people we're, we're talking about that might be sitting on the couch or maybe not too happy with things that are going on in their life and afraid to take action. But I think everyone that is kind of getting after it has a sense of respect for what he's been able to do. And you kind of just realize, man, I mean, this dude's got his, his shit together, you know, like it's, yeah. it's, it's very inspiring for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I love listening to the the races part of the, <laughs> because I want to do every single one of those races. Same. Yeah. For sure. I'm right there with you. That's he's the one that's inspired me to to do uh to try and do Badwater 135. Ever since I listened to that, it's been my number one race goal. There's yeah. nothing else I want to do but but that one, hopefully, sometime in your future. Well, I will tell you this because I got this uh straight from Bob Becker, who is the race director at uh Keys and Daytona, and he's done Badwater a bunch of times that even though the race Daytona, uh, the Keys and and Miami advertise as uh, Badwater qualifiers, mm-hmm. Badwater don't specifically require you to run one of those right. races because it's not a real lottery. They do get right. kind of preferential treatment because it lets them know that you can run a tough race that's in the heat and on pavement and that kind of stuff. But yeah, like I said before, I'm a very analytical, big research guy. So I've actually to go a step further. I know that it's kind of, it's not a lottery, like you said, but it's a very a thorough interview process in which they only accept 105 people every year. And yeah. I think 70 of those are newcomers. So kind of it's trying to fortify the best resume you can put together. Whereas, yeah. you know, if I run a bunch of Daytona 100s, it's probably not going to look as compelling as this coastal Georgia Greenway 155 or the Miami 120, uh, 125, or it's kind of, they want to make sure, you know, you're, you're ready for it. Cause it's, it's, you know, the toughest race on earth. So, but uh, yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. It's not a requirement, but if you're pretty serious about her and I mean, you'd be crazy not to to try out some of those races on that list just to get a dose of it. Cause if you can't handle those, I, I have a hard time believing the, the Badwater 135 is going to be any easier. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, so did you see what, uh, how Bob's race went there this year? I did not know. I didn't even know he, uh, so I didn't know who Bob was until I had the privilege of meeting him at the end of the race. Um, like I said, I, I'm new to this ultra running stuff. So all these names I've been learning over the last eight months, uh, I'm kind of eating up and he's a new, he's a new one. He's a, a legend I've learned too. In the- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
But yeah, you can. I, I think it was episode seven on my podcast that I interviewed Bob about his bad water experience this year. So go back and listen to that. But oh, for sure, I will. But also, you can search it on like YouTube, Bob Becker Badwater 2022. And uh, I mean, I'll just give you a quick clip if nobody's told you. So at mile 90, I think it was, his back started having spasms. So he had to bend over like 90 degrees from the hip for the rest of the race. So he wow. had to go like 40 miles, 40 plus miles, bend over at the hip. <laughs> wow. And still made the cutoff. Uh well, almost put it that way. And then he gets like the last two miles and it's got so bad that he crawls on his bear crawls. He's he's leaned over on, on his feet and his hands, not on his knees, but on his hands and his feet, bear crawling because wow. because his body had given up. And he he missed it's a 48 hour cutoff and he yes. missed he missed it by 16 minutes. Oh, my. That's incredible grit. Wow. But man, I mean, I mean, I sit there and watch that video and cried and cried because that man has heart, man. That's that's you know, just like you know, and 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 some of the things that Goggins accomplished with the injuries that he had, and yeah. But uh, I love to see that kind of grit and determination, man. It it inspires the hell out of me. Yeah, it makes you wonder, like, what's your excuse? I saw that grit at the Daytona 100 with the gentleman uh, Peter Klein. Pushing the wheel, uh, the, the wheel racer thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pushing that, uh, I don't know, the race stroller kind of thing with the uh, the other Peter who was pushing. Yeah, that was it. Kind of just put things in perspective off the get go that I was going to finish it no matter what, and I wasn't going to complain about a damn thing, even though I was twenty eight days removed from my first hundred. I was like, this guy is more than twice my age pushing a <laughs> other human being. I was like, I have no excuses at all. Right. Like, there's nothing Man, I, I, I flip flop back and forth with that sucker. I probably didn't get ahead of him to like mile 60 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Same here. 35 was uh I passed him three three different times because he he that's a he's a veteran. I mean, me, I don't have I'm really one thing I've learned, I'm really bad at being efficient at aid stations. I kind of just bust out the lawn chair, hang out. Or at like, you know, three different times. He's just, it's the tortoise in the hair. He's just very consistent. Yep. He's efficient. And every time I stop, take a break, I get back out there. I'm like, man, like this guy just, just keeps trucking. And like I said, I couldn't, I couldn't shake him. And he's still pushing, you know, another individual. It was, it was wild. It's awesome. Yeah. Now, did you see the uh, blind guy that finished? <laughs> yes, I did. So I saw him twice. Once in the beginning, I, I think I passed a mile four, but. He didn't finish too long after myself. I remember my wife and I were driving from the finish line back to the hotel and I looked out the window and I saw him out there and I was just, you know, praying that he was going to will himself to the line. He made it that far. There's no doubt he was going to make it. So yeah. I'm glad he finished. Another my, incredible story. My good friend, uh, Joe Fuller, who has the Florida Trail Runners podcast, did and he did two episodes or three episodes actually about Daytona. And one of them I was a part of where we, it was me and two other people. And we, and one of them was his guide that talked about our experience there. But then he did a separate one with Aaron Hill, the, the blind guy. And he talks about, you know, he was a, a army guy in Afghanistan and it was a, a IED that blew up in his face that, that caused that. And, uh, he tells his story, you know, and, and what got him into running and all. It's a powerful, powerful podcast. That's super inspiring, too. What's that one called? I'll have to check that out. 
It's the Florida Trail Runners podcast. Trail Runners. And it's it's one of the more recent ones. His name is Aaron Hale. You'll see. I think it even shows like a picture of him in the show notes or something. Awesome. Just jot that down. I will check that out too. So anyway, so let's jump to your race then. So uh you are you're from Texas, right? Well, I'm actually from uh, Buffalo, New York, but I did okay. move here to Austin, Texas back in 2012, where it's significantly uh, warmer, <laughs> which I love. So I'm pretty well acclimated now. And yes, yeah, so I reside here in Texas and it's kind of similar to Florida, I guess, but just not as much humidity. You guys have got insane humidity over there. That's for sure. Yeah, it's a whole different animal. In Georgia, we have similar humidity percentage wise. But the big difference is down there, especially in that area, uh, uh, coastal area, it's dew point. And it's like it's like it's the same as or higher than the temperature is at some time. So it's like you're running through soup. You know, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. But anyway. But yeah. So uh, so I actually spent a summer in uh, Austin, Texas, back when I was a young, young man. And so I'm very familiar with Austin. Great city. You probably, probably wouldn't be familiar with it if you came by now. It's a lot different even the 10 right. years I've been here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's been 30, 30 plus years. <laughs> so anyway, so what day did you roll into town uh, for the race? On Friday or earlier now? Uh, yeah, I'm a rookie. I, I rolled in on Friday. Uh, I didn't get to Jacksonville till I think it was like 7 o'clock, and I went and picked up my packet, and uh, yeah, I got in there really, really late. Illusion? No, I'm still here. Oh shoot! Yeah, I got in there really late, uh, which was part of my problem because I, my wife and I left from Austin to Orlando. We think we got on that flight at like five thirty, so I think we got four hours of sleep. And uh, the the thing I've read about ultras is the most important night to get sleep isn't the night before; it's two nights before because you know everyone <laughs> always gets the pre race jitters. You're not going to get much sleep anyway, and so. I was just dog tired come uh, race day because I, I didn't think about it twice. I was like, oh yeah, we'll get to Florida, you know, real early. I'll get to relax, but yeah, I think we got four hours of sleep because we were at the airport at three a.m. So I remember we strolled into registration, and I'd just woken up from a nap in the car, and uh, yeah, the the guys kind of looked at me and looked at my wife because I was in a tank top, and they're like, oh, uh, what's what's going on with you? And I was like, oh, I'm here to pick up my my uh my bib and they were uh they're asking are you running the 50 and mind you i'm like 210 pounds and i look like i'm not a runner (laughs) (laughs) so i was like no the 100 like oh are you you pacing and i was like nope and they looked at my wife thinking she was the runner and (laughs) it was just kind of a funny awkward moment because when we (laughs) left there my wife was like i kind of got the vibe they didn't think you were gonna run because you just kind of came out of the gym and we're uh, just for shits and giggles going to try this thing out. And it was, it was kind of funny, but yeah, I was, I was exhausted uh, come that morning. But like I said, when I came across Peter at mile eight pushing, I was like, I don't care how tired I am. Cause this guy, like I said, inspiring. So that's how my whole day started. And I kind of just getting really in my head and that's how these ultras are, man. It's, it's, it's not really so much physical as mental. I just started before I came across Peter just making excuses how, why am I doing this? I've gotten, you know, eight hours of sleep between the last two nights. I just ran my first 128 days ago and I just kind of in a bad, you know, just a bad attitude. 
but it all kind of changed as soon as I, uh, as soon as I came across him. So that's kind of how my race started. Oh, and then also it really helped too coming across you. It wasn't so much you as it was as your buddy, uh, Mike, the sober sombrero with the, um, <laughs> with the megaphone. He was cracking <laughs> me up. It was awesome. His, his, uh, energy, he was bringing it. Yeah, that was, he's my crew chief. And, uh, he that was that was why he was it. He is uh he definitely brings the energy. Yeah. I, I realized I made the mistake he because I was laughing at you. And then at that point he asked me what my name was, and I didn't realize it was a huge mistake telling him my name because as we all know the rest of the day, uh <laughs> yeah. he, he was he was laying into me, but it was awesome. It was great. <laughs> yeah. So you know what happened to me was in the first, you know, that first little section where you have uh it's like a three and a half miles out and back, you know, end up back at the start line at seven yeah. miles, something like that. So I had, I had two cups of coffee that morning for some reason. I don't know if it was just nerves or what, but I peed nine times in that seven miles. Oh, I wasn't, I wasn't far behind you. I didn't pee that <laughs> much, but my problem was I'm not a big coffee drinker, but I only drink coffee on those kind of race days to try and get a bowel movement. And nothing i don't know if it was lack of sleep i nothing happened but i forgot to mention <laughs> mile seven on the way back i don't know if you remember those uh the public beach restrooms there there as on your way back there on the left on the way out it was on the yeah. right i remember i had to stop in there and gosh <laughs> that was a story in itself i mean those like i was in there so long marty the motion lights shut off i think about five times so i had to like <laughs> wave my i took my hat off waving my hand around trying to because it was just like pitch dark in there so it was a interesting start to the race because yeah as if anyone listening to your podcast knows like it's just you dread not having that bottom before a race because you know it's coming right that happened to me out there at mile seven luckily there was a, a restroom around because that's also a nightmare in itself when you don't have one <laughs> but yeah, it was convenient too along the race i mean i know it sounds like you were having to pee a lot but thank god there was a lot of construction going on at those homes right. where they had a Porter John. It wasn't strategically placed there, but it was just like every you know quarter mile there was construction going on. So we were kind of just, I don't know about you, but just bunny hopping from Porter Potty to Porter Potty to go to the bathroom. Right. Yeah, that was that was a plus. That was one of the uh pluses from the hurricane that had just come through because a lot That's of people right. were having work repairs done. And I guess, sense. you know, in my area, they don't you know, when they're doing like remodeling to houses, they don't stick a porta potty. The cut, the homeowner just lets them use their bathroom. But I guess, I guess the neighborhoods were so nice along the beach that they're not um, going to have no uh, blue collar guys using their personal bathroom. So they still oh, for sure. And I'm sure since 2020 things have changed with, you know, COVID and all that. I mean, people aren't yeah. as, you know, uh, to have people, strangers, their home, strangers. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> but no, thank, thankfully those Porter Johns were all everywhere because, yeah, there were sometimes lines outside of them at some of the uh, miles, I remember. Right. But definitely got used. Yeah, that's that's some of the uh, the thing. One of the things that I was nervous about because I had heard that Bob, the race director, was very serious about, you know, don't get caught going behind a tree or something or behind a dumpster uh, or you'll get kicked out of the race. And so oh I was, wow! I didn't I know that. Worried. I was worried that there were not going to be any porta pot, you know, like that. Yeah, but sometimes I'll tell you. I mean, one thing I have learned though, too, especially you know, reading Goggins' books, when you get later in those races, I mean, those your bowel movements just creep up on you, and you can't control it. And 
it's not like in a, a road trip where you're like, oh, I can hold out for the next three exits. That's kind of like right. <laughs> 100 yards seems like forever away when you're on, you know, your your legs are all dead. Yeah. So I'm just kind of thinking like you got to go when you got to go, even if it's behind a tree, I guess. I don't know what to tell you. Just don't get caught. Exactly. Exactly. But, yeah. So so going into it then, now you had done your first hundred a month before that. So you'd learned some things. Did you have like a plan as far as pace wise? Were you trying to hold back or were you just going by the people around you? I kind of feed off yeah, the energy of people around me, but also, I mean, just kind of, as you say too, like keeping my heart rate under 150 for me, yours is one, you know, the 130s is your sweet spot, but I've logged so many miles over the last six months that I kind of have an understanding what my pace should be at that that point. So it was it was totally two different races. I mean, you got to realize the my Rio del Lago with the elevation. Uh, you're you're on a trail, and when you're trail running at elevation, you're going a lot slower than you are uh, at a race like Daytona where it's on pavement. So it's kind of it's kind of you have two different mentalities of how you're going to run it, but. Um, I was just trying to be comfortable. I knew I had plenty of time and I just didn't want to uh, wear myself out. Like someone had taught me at my previous race, it's better to bank energy than it is to bank time. And that's what my problem was. I think at Rio del Lago was I came out hot because 80 of those miles are trail. And so the last 80 is trail. The first 20 is, is road. And I was running 10 minute miles. And I think I'd you know, was 20 miles in and it was uh, four hours down. Whereas this one, I was like, you know, I'm going to start walk running at mile, I think it was mile five. <laughs> so it was just two different mentalities because I knew I wanted to bank energy, not bank time. So that was a big takeaway for me. Yeah. So, so now what about uh, fueling? Do you, what kind of fuel, what kind of calories were you taking in? Um, it's kind of, uh, well, I'm a bigger individual so i kind of just shovel as much as i i can <laughs> in the night before anyway carb wise but um i have a, a couple of concoctions that i i make my wife is is awesome with it i mean i have this uh 128 gallon jug in which i kind of mix in three different i guess powders that are between electrolyte and sodium and it's carbs and calories and that's really the biggest thing but i think during that race uh, i ate anything from uh pizza to a burger to yeah for me it's just it's just shoveling in calories because i uh i take a lot to get this this engine going but the biggest thing is just yeah the the jug that my wife uh, makes for me the concoction that's big and she also brought me a smoothie king uh smoothie too is some fruity tropical uh thing which came in clutch because it was i think that alone was like 700 calories so it's kind of what i was doing for nutrition but i didn't feel bonked out at any point it's just like probably like yourself. It's just uh, your your muscles start to go, and there's no fuel that you can get in to make your muscles feel <laughs> feel fresh. I mean, that's but uh, yeah, fuel the nutrition wasn't wasn't an issue really. Yeah. So that little stretch between when you go first, right after the you get past the start line, and then you go to the you go through Ponte Vedra, which is where the, the golf courses are and all that little stretch there. And then the next stretch where you're out there kind of in the open, you know, the ocean is over to your left, but you can't see it because those like, I don't know what you call them, bushes or vines or whatever are there. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. No, I, I remember. Yeah, I was I was so awestruck by the homes in the first 15 miles. 
And here, I'll, I'll kind of go to the race recap, but feel free to, to interject or uh, if you have any questions about it, because I got some notes here. But okay. from my experience, yeah, mile, up to mile 15, I mean, as you probably recall too, the homes were just beautiful. I think on my Instagram story, I was posting about some of these absurd mansions. But then when you get to a certain part of the race, though, too, we only get to enjoy so much of the uh, the beach area because it, it just felt like it got dark really quick. I mean, it's it's winter time here, so it gets dark early. But uh, I wrote down here in my notes, I think at mile 36, yeah, we crossed that bridge. And I don't know about you, but I got lost after we left that aid station. If it wasn't for my buddy, Simon, he was who started to pace me there, He's like, oh, just bring up the uh, the GPX file or whatever, blah, 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 online, because it allows you to kind of see your dot on the uh, the race. Because when we left there, there wasn't any signs. I don't know if you noticed that or if you just knew where you were going, but I got all kinds of turned around with all the, the sidewalks. We're bustling around with people and there was some sort of, uh, I want to say like a festival or something going on. Do you, do you recall what I'm yeah. saying? Oh yeah. The only reason I would have been lost big time, but I had a pacer with me and she knew exactly where to go. So I trusted her and we, she kept me on. I said, are you, because when we got downtown with all those people on the sidewalk and they weren't out of the way, you know, we were just having to kind of go around them. I was thinking, are you sure this is the right way? (laughs) It was crazy. It felt like I was in a parade almost because you were zigzagging almost to just get through these people. It was, it was like, well, this dot on the map says we're going the right way. But uh, as soon as we got through that, it was kind of nice again, but there was kind of some sort of revolutionary war reenactment kind of thing or something along those lines. It looked like, cause there was cannons blasting right. when we were going by <laughs> anyway. Now, did you get caught at the uh, drawbridge at the bridge Alliance? I didn't get caught. No, I must've, uh, did you, did the drawbridge come up? Because when I went across it, it was, uh, it was down. So we yeah, were we got caught. We sit, we sat there for probably 15 minutes waiting on that sucker to go back down. Oh my. Which, which I was, you know, there were several people there and I was kind of <laughs> glad for the rest. <laughs> and so yeah. once, awesome. once that sucker went back down, I felt good. Yeah, that was actually for the second bridge where you kind of get some elevation because I remember we kind of walked up that was I felt bad because my buddy Simon. So he was the only pacer I had brought with me for the race uh, and he was all fresh and everything. But I was like, hey, man, like I got to I got to walk up this <laughs> this little hill here. <laughs> and he understood. But I do have to give a shout out to my buddy Simon because uh, Simon Simon works for me and he just got an altar running because he was kind of kind of more or less drag him around to these things. And he never kind of like me intended to run, but he's kind of caught this bug and <laughs> leading up to the Daytona 100, the furthest race he ever ran was a 20 K, which is about 12 miles. <laughs> so I told him, I was like, I know you're getting antsy. It's mile 36, but I was like, I'm really going to need you at nighttime. He's like, Oh, I'll be, I'll be fine. I was like, all right, man. Like I, I get it. And it was probably what, what time would you say it was around, that maybe two or three ish for you because I, I remember you were there at the same point I was when we got over that bridge of that aid station mile 36. It was yeah, early it, afternoon. It was between two and three. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, in my mind, I'm like, oh, we got another three hours before dark. Uh gets dark around five and it's gonna be dark from 12, 14 hours. But I gotta give Simon credit because he ran all the way with me from mile 36 to mile 80 which is 44 miles i think wow. he tapped out around like 4 a.m and if it wasn't for he he said he could have kept going but it was he's kind of uh he he's new to he's new to ultra running so he made the rookie mistake he was wearing uh cotton briefs 
Ooh. His butt was just getting all kinds of, it was like, he was like saying it was like a hamburger. It just felt raw. So his, the friction and everything, as you probably understand when you start just getting in different parts of your body blistering. Yeah. But uh, if it wasn't for that, he said he could have kept going. So I was very impressed. He went from 12 mile from a 12 mile PR to 44 <laughs> and we didn't go any less than uh, aside from, cause like I said, we took long breaks, but on my Strava, we didn't do any mile at any point less than 15 minute miles. So we, uh, he, he gutted it out and I'm still very impressed to this day how he's able to do that. Cause he, he promised us like, I need you at nighttime. He's like, Oh, don't worry. I'll make it. I'm like, you're going from like a half marathon PR to, I don't know how long you're going to make it, but he, he did. But I think what messed him up, because I wrote here my notes too, is to go back to how tired I was at mile like 60, I was, I looked over Simon was like, Hey man, like at some point I am for sure going to have to take a nap tonight. And he's like, yeah, no problem. So I wrote here on mile 77. That's when it finally just caught up with me. And I remember I, I slept in the vehicle for 45 minutes. And I think that really messed him up because you know, that 45 minutes, a lot can happen when you're just sitting around. So I think it gave his body time to shut down, start, you know, evaluating his chafing and his blistering. So <laughs> yeah. he got it out three more miles before he had to, to tap out. But yeah, that's, that's a big part of the race where I was really trying not to nap, but uh, yeah, I couldn't help it, man. I just, I had to, <laughs> like, it felt great too. When I was done, Yeah, uh, when I woke up. So that was right past the uh, bad water aid station then, right? Correct. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So how we were kind of doing our aids or our kind of crewing was it got to a point after like mile 60 where those aid stations, I think they're about 10 miles apart, if I'm not mistaken. So I was telling my, my family and my wife, how I kind of would like to stop every five miles, you know, this aids at 60. I'd love to see you guys at 65 and 70 and 75. So yeah, I remember Badwater was around 71 or two. And that's when I told him, Hey, at 77, I'll meet up with you. And I just couldn't keep my, my eyes open anymore. It was the best 40 minute, 45 minute nap I've taken <laughs> and it was needed. So plus it helped too. Cause not long after that, you know, how when that sun comes up, it gives you new life. So I think it was a mile 90. I recorded on my Instagram it, that sun came up and it's funny how that sleep deprivation just for me anyway, it goes all the way. Like you just feel you're still fatigued. You feel tired, but you're not uh, sleepy tired. You know, that's what yeah. it was for me. So yeah, mile 90, the sun came up and then 94. I was like, oh, we got six miles to go. I started uh, feeling a bad blister on my, my pinky toe. So I was like, you know, I want to switch over to my Crocs because I got a, I'm a huge Croc fan um, and they're just comfortable. My feet were swelling up. So I made the mistake of ripping off my tape and my, uh, I forgot what, just kind of like a bandaid on my blister. Because what happened, Marty, was I ripped that tape off. I'm talking about the entire skin around my pinky toe on all four sides was connected to this tape. And it was so moist that I ripped the skin off. Mm. And I was screwed after. I was like, what a dumb bonehead mistake. I, I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. So the last six, I couldn't even run because I had no, like the tape and the skin was the protective layer to my toe and at that point, I had not, nothing. And I was like, this is the dumbest thing. So I did the Crocs for about a half mile before I was like, I'm getting way too much friction with how, uh, you know, how loose the Croc is. So I had to lace the the running shoes back on just to walk in. And yeah, that's how I, I limped across. And the reason just to give you a backstory, I love if Croc, if Crocs ever listen to this, please sponsor me. So back in, uh, <laughs> 
back in June, leading up to all my, my running endeavors, I did some training runs. I did a 30K trail run, a 30K, a 60K, and a 100K. My second 30K trail run, and it was, uh, which is 18 miles, it was about 2,000 feet of elevation gain. My wife and I drove an hour and a half to go to this race. And I shit you not, Marty, when we got there and we pulled in, I forgot my running shoes. And so my wife <laughs> was like, well, we got an Airbnb right down the road. We can either go there and just hang out for the night or we can go back home. And I was like, absolutely not. I was like, kind of one of those, what would David Goggins do? And I was like, I'm going to my Crocs. And she's like, there's no way. She's like, you're going to get hurt. And long story short, I made a huge post about it too. But I went 18 miles uh, in my Crocs. <laughs> and I actually finished like, I think we were amazed. I was like 27th out of 70 people. And it was a pretty respectable time. I got video evidence of it. And I crossed the line. The lady, she's like, please tell me you switched at some point in the race. You did not run that. And I was like, no, I did. She's like, we need to make some crazy award for you. Because she's like, never <laughs> in the history have I seen someone do Crocs. And even out there, people were thinking, is this some fad? Is this some... Uh, Thing that we don't know about that crocs of the new running shoes like no i just i forgot them but uh that's my croc story it's probably one of my favorite ones to tell so anyway i thought i was gonna try and finish in crocs and as you saw me in that bald eagle uh onesie it's, it's a romper i tried to run all my races in a romper or at least finish in them because it's just kind of like my my thing to do but uh okay really just the the gist of it yeah that that ending was horrible and oh also Mile 96, uh, I had to, yet again, I had another bowel movement there. And so, I, mean, I was like a half hour and it's, you know, it's morning time. I think for me, it was like 11, 10 in the morning. And I was just, my stomach was very upset with me. And my family thought I about died in that body because I was in there so <laughs> long. But yeah, I killed so much time between napping and border potties. But uh and it's pretty ironic. It was mile six, 96 because my very first race is the same way. I was four miles from the end. And my family is just like, you just can't wait four more miles. I'm like, you just have no idea till you're out there. Like <laughs> four miles is impossible to hold anything. There's no way. But uh, yeah, that was, that was a race. And then I was glad, thankful. My wife, she walked the last two miles with me and we crossed the, the finish line holding hands. It was an epic ending. Yeah. I love it. And lo and behold, Marty Gardner came in not, I think, like five minutes after I did. Smiles with Marty. Did you, and I was being, did you say I was being led by uh, the dude in the uh, scooter, like the wheel, electronic wheelchair thing? Oh, I saw that. Yeah. I don't, I, well, I don't, he wasn't part of your crew, was he? I thought it was just someone with the media or someone that. No, well, he wasn't part of my crew, but I had actually met him at another race back in August. His name is Jason Hornum. And, um, uh, he has a genetic condition that makes his legs not work properly. He'll be walking along and then they just kind of quit and he'll go down. And so he has that, you know, it's, it's basically like a wheelchair scooter to get around in. And, but he actually, I, I was doing a 12 hour race up in an area about close to around mile 60 of the race, right in that area, Flagler beach area. And Jason came out there and participated in that race with his walker. He it was a one mile loop, basically. And he walked around that one mile loop with his walker for six hours in the August heat. And uh, and so I interviewed him on my podcast because everybody at the race wanted to know his story, you know, 
And uh, he used to be an ultra runner, and the the he was born with the condition, but it didn't hit him till he was 28 years old. And right. so he actually got accepted into Western states, but didn't get to run it. Um, yeah, you know. But so anyway, he has a and he's done a lot of marathons and stuff. But uh, but anyway, so I had met him, and I, and he and I had gotten you know been in touch on Facebook. And he had act, actually messaged me and offered to help crew or he lives in Daytona. And okay. so I never did get back to him because I really, I couldn't, you know, I said something to my crew chief about it, but I couldn't, you know, really come up with something I wanted him to do. And so I kind of forgot about it basically. Okay. So I'm like mile 95, you know, maybe 94. There's, there's a point when you get into points where, you know, it tells you, you got five miles to go or something like that. Right. Yep. So before that, when you're still in the section, you know, uh, of business area kind of where there's still yes. like a lot of those condos and things, I'm going down the sidewalk and I hear, hey, get the hell out of the way. Is that Miles with Marty? And, <laughs> and uh, I turn around. I thought it was like some homeless dude on a, uh, you know, on a scooter before he said my name. And then I turned around and it was Jason. <laughs> and so he. It, it really lifted my spirits because, you know, I was like you said, I was hurting for certain by that point. And uh, to see somebody that I had no idea was going to that I knew, you know, that I didn't know was going to be there. It just really made my day. And so that is awesome. I stopped and talked to him and took a picture with him. And uh, and then he jumped back in his van and jumped ahead of us and went to the finish line. So when he saw us coming, he kind of led the way on his scooter to the finish line and there's an awesome video that somebody took that shows him leading us all you know through the shoot it's pretty cool it is awesome well it's pretty cool that he showed up still and was able to somehow meet up with you especially at that juncture without i don't know how he was able to know you were there yeah me either i mean i know there was tracking but uh you know every time you crossed a timing mat you know it would there were people could tell how far you had gone so i guess he had kind of guesstimated that way well that's a good friend right there yeah especially yeah. yeah it was awesome and like i said it really lifted my spirits and made me go an extra minute or so faster because you know it at that point it's hard to maintain any kind of pace oh you talked about blisters but you didn't you haven't really said anything about the bottom of your feet but that's what <laughs> that's what was hurt me it wasn't blisters it was like i felt like the whole bottom of both of my feet or bruised, you know? Oh yeah. Well, mine get to a point where it gets so numb, but for me, I guess what I forgot to mention, I wasn't trying to, you know, have you cry the blues for me, but my, my hip. <laughs> so my, my problem is I have, I don't have hip problems, but my, um, my hip just gives out and I don't know why, but it's kind of like the, uh, I just can't push off. it. It's kind of not a pain. It's just the muscle itself is if you kind of were the best way I can describe is if you're sitting on the toilet for too long, you know, and your your toes start to tingle and you lose feeling in your legs. That's what happens in my right hip. So at mile 10 of this race, my hip gave out, which happened before at the previous uh, 100, it gave out like mile 30. So this is why I'm saying, I don't know if I'm going to, I'm going to hope I can run this coastal Georgia Greenway. I'm trying to give my hip some rest and work on some mobility. But for me, it wasn't my, uh, my feet, as you know, like when you start, my hip gives out, it's not a big deal. It doesn't hurt, but you start compensating elsewhere on your body. Yeah. And that's when the pain starts to come in because then my left calf started cramping. My right IT band starts hurting there. It just creates like a snowball effect of, 
of stuff. So if everyone's got their kryptonite and there was a, a lady that wasn't too far ahead of both of us, but she looked like she looked like she gotten shot in the hip. I mean, this poor lady uh, was dragging, literally dragging her leg behind. I thought she was going to need crutches to finish and she still finished ahead of both of us. But uh, yeah, she was, she was hurting real bad. And, you know, as we finished and I drove back, you could just see everybody was kind of in zombie mode and just willing themselves <laughs> to the finish line. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it was, and for me too, you kind of get in that psychological state but it really messed with me. I don't know about you, but at mile 100, I look at my watch and I was, I was kind of upset. I looked at my wife. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I was like, it's mile 100. She's like, <laughs> according to Google maps, we're 0.7 away. And <laughs> yeah. for anyone listening, it's like, oh, what's 0.7 miles. But it's like, when you're averaging 15, 20 minute miles, that's another 10, you know, 50 minutes on your feet, which yeah. already hurt. And yeah, I was so upset. The race was 100.7 miles long. <laughs> yeah. Mine was 101.2. And so 101. yeah, see, it was more so than yeah, at, uh, at a hundred miles. I couldn't even see the lighthouse and <laughs> yeah. wanted for sure. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too. You come around that turn you come up, you don't see the finish line. You're like, it's, it's coming up. You just wish you just could visually. <laughs> right. See it feel yeah but that was an awesome race and what was the best part of it was just the people you know i met like yourself and mr sober sombrero and peter which i forgot to mention i I actually met the gentleman that pushed uh that that's uh race stroller the night before and he was so humble that he didn't even really mention it i was just so flabbergasted that he uh was 70 years old and as we were leaving he was standing next to it and i was thinking wow like what a humble dude like he wasn't even going to brag about how he was pushing the that stroller, but yeah, yeah just met incredible people. And obviously Bob, the race director too, at the finish line, I had the opportunity to meet him too. So it was, uh, it was awesome, man. Yes. The uh, ultra community as a whole is just super special and supportive and uplifting and encouraging and they'll help you, you know, in any way. Yeah. There, we've got some jerks in our, uh, <laughs> but not many of them, you know, they run so doggone many miles that it kind of burns the meanness out of most of us, you know, and uh, all the crews of the other people, they would do anything to help you, you yep. know, reach your goal and, and that's one thing that I've discovered. And I don't know if you've got the opportunity to do much of this yet, but if you do some volunteering at ultras or a crewing, pacing for somebody else, it's just as uh, fulfilling to help somebody else achieve a goal as it is to, or more to achieve your own goals. You know, it's really a powerful experience, you know, both ways. And so, yeah, that's one of my goals actually for this year is just because of all the aid stations I go to, everyone's willing to literally give me the shirt off their back. And I was like, you know, this is pretty awesome. These people are out here at the wee hours of the night or even people that just volunteer to sometimes pace for absolute strangers. So I kind of wanted to do that. And a quick story for you, Marty, is I actually, uh, are you familiar with the Bandera 100K? Yep. So there's a, that's a big race going on this weekend. And there's some pretty big names that are going there. I mean, Courtney DeWalter, for instance, is going to be running that race. So I'm part of this ultra Facebook group. And I was like, you know, I have not much going on. I'd love to help either pay someone, maybe do an aid station. And this gentleman post out there like, hey, there's someone coming in town. They would like if someone could help crew them. I'm like, you know, I'd love to be there for this person, yada, yada. 
Well, out of respect for this person's name, I'm, I don't have permission to say their names. So I'm not going to, but right. I got all the deets on it and it's a pretty big name person. And this guy was like, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to win the race. <laughs> and I was thinking, man, this is, I was just, I don't know what I signed up for. I said I was going to help, help crew this, but I'm in for a pretty awesome experience. I feel like getting that side of it because I'm just so used to lollygagging at uh, aid stations. I'm very curious how this is going to go. So I'm so serious about it that I don't know the course, but out of respect for this, this person, I told him I'd be there Friday to go down, which is, you know, a two hour drive for me to, to learn where each aid station is and get a layout of the course. Cause I, I don't want to be the reason why this individual does not <laughs> win the race. You know what I'm saying? I hear that. So That's awesome. I'm starting 23 off at a pretty cool way of volunteering. I didn't know what I was getting into, but, uh, I'm pretty excited, yeah, to, to hopefully be a part of this individual's uh and even then a win, I think it's still a cool experience because I don't know if I'll ever get that chance ever again to firsthand, you know, see what it's like. Cause I'm I'm never gonna have the chance to probably win a win an ultra. So I don't know what that that experience is like, you know what I'm saying? Where well you never know. Yeah, you you're you're right, you never know. I mean, you're I'm very a new guy, but you're either a computer. Or a completer, and right now I'm a I'm more about the completing it, than the competing it. So yeah, I hear you. Yeah, so. well that's awesome. Yeah, that's a golden ticket race, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, yes, for the West, that's why I think a lot of people uh, you got to still finish it in under 17 hours, uh, the 100k. Which I'm my understanding, this person who's trying to win it's going to do it in about nine, so it should be a right. <laughs> pretty quick day for me, which I'm excited yeah. about in a way. So, but yeah, and there's a lot, like I said, a, a couple big names there. I'm very excited to see like, you know, the Courtney to Walters of the world. And there's a couple other people. It's just a cool, just cool to witness firsthand, you know, some of these legends in the, the community and maybe hopefully get an opportunity to talk to them too. Right. And you'll definitely learn a lot just from seeing how exactly. the front of the pack, how they do things in their cruise stops and things like that. Back, yeah. back in February, I, I ran the Black Canyon 60K out in Arizona, and uh, I'm a, I'm an ambassador for Squirrel's Nut Butter, and so they do an aid station there at that race. And the day before the 60K, they run the 100K, and it's a um, Western States qualifier, and first three places get uh, golden tickets in the Western States. And so I volunteered the Saturday for the 100K at the – at the squirrels nut butter aid station and so i got to see those people come through and you know I, we were at mile 20 and they were running like seven seven and a half minute miles for yep. 100k on a technical rocky trail i mean it was yep. crazy oh yeah they glide right across in <laughs> like you're saying just coming through those aid stations i've watched some youtube videos because i'm very serious about this and it's kind of like very similar to a nascar you know right. pit crew where it's like for me, I'm busting out the lawn chair and taking my socks off. For them, there's no lawn chair. It's, you know, I need this, that, and the other thing and go. Or in some of the cases on the videos, they don't even stop. It's just a transition of handing whatever they want it off. And I'm just like. The crew person uh, sometimes runs along with them and hands them their stuff as they're emptying their pocket. Exactly. So that's why I'm kind of very nervous because when I <laughs> Friday, I'm like, you just tell me if I need to, you know, run and give this to you or what. But uh, yeah, I'm going to say. It'll be exciting because it's just a you know a different side of the race that you and I are not familiar with uh, with how we run our races you know and this is right. 
exciting to see that side of it. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the sport, so I love to see that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I'll try and take some videos and uh, maybe shoot them over to you. Or if, yeah, you're on Instagram. I'm going to ask this individual if I got permission to post on my stories, but I'm very excited just to to learn because, like I said, this is all new to me and to have this opportunity, I may never have it again. <laughs> I'm definitely going to take advantage of it. Oh, so you said your next race is the Georgia Greenway. Is there anything else you got on your radar for hundred miler? Yes, sir. So I have three in terms of, uh, you know, fitness goals this year, the coastal Georgia Greenway in March. And then um, I submitted for the lottery for the Tahoe Rim Trail which is a July 15th, um, which is 104 miles. It's called a hundred mile run, but it's 104 I've learned. And it's got about 20 K of elevation gain. So I'm really dreading that one, probably more than, than anything else this year. And then in November, uh, I'm going to try something new, which is an Ironman, which <laughs> I'm not too worried about the biking or the, the running, but the swimming, I probably, I'm not, Kidding you, Marty. I probably couldn't doggy paddle across the pool right now if you asked me to. So that's what I'm nervous about. But to give you a little backstory too, why I'm not so worried about the biking is back in 2012, I on a kind of like a little dare bet, I rode a bike from Buffalo, New York to Daytona. Oh. And in 2017, a friend and I rode 3,000 miles across Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru. So oh, I got wow. some, some biking under my belt, and I'm not worried about the biking and running disciplines, but the, uh, the swim ought to be interesting. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I like to see a man that likes to challenge himself You definitely Goggins inspired. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. So we will see. The only problem with that all is, uh, I've quickly learned it's a very in- expensive endeavor. Right. Uh, so luckily I have a friend who's got a retired, bike because i was not i didn't realize those things can go up to like five thousand dollars yeah uh yeah if you're just getting into the sport oh man you're for the 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 skin suits and the goggles and the it's not like running where your equipment's you know your uh your shoes but even then i've learned too in ultra running it's a pretty expensive uh task to take on 100 miles because you got your your nut butters you got your running vest yeah you got your your side i mean yeah it's and some of the races you know i won't i won't name but i mean i just signed up for one on new year's day and that sucker was four hundred dollars and so they add up yeah i which i think i mean that's the rio del lago i think was 350 but the one i'm dreading like badwater i think that one's fourteen hundred dollars that's which i'm hoping if i for next year if i'm able i'm gonna in january of next year submit for it and if i get magically accepted i probably won't try any other race for the entire year because that, that one alone is, is pretty pricey and i'm sure it'll be zonked out but fingers crossed just got to make it through this year one thing at a time yeah um, well i'm doing the east coast version of bad water this year i'm i'm doing the bad water cape fear and uh yeah line up the, the 51 miler in march and so that'll be exciting it'll be my first time with the bad water community uh but at this point, I am not interested in uh, running through Death Valley. <laughs> yes, the heat, the heat part of that scares the hell out of me. Oh, for sure. Well, I will say, if you're ever interested, Marty, because I, I was trying to for this year, but I don't know many people. But there's also one other Badwater race. It's called the Badwater Salton Sea. 
Yeah. And I'm not sure if you're, are you familiar with that race. Yeah. yeah. I'm very familiar with it. It's a, uh, you got, you do it in teams of two or three people. And it's important that you, it's not a really a race against your partner. It's, it's kind of a, you do it in tandem. Right. And uh, if you're ever feeling doing something spicy, you know, maybe next year it's an 81 mile race. I'd be happy to, to tag team it with you. If you're, if you're interested anyway. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm actually doing, they've got one in Miami called the Miami 50 50 in June. That's the same way. It's uh you got to do it with a partner and uh, it's, it's kind of, they treat it kind of like a scavenger hunt at each check-in station. They give you a card with directions to the next checkpoint oh. and, uh, and there's no aid stations and you can't have a crew. So you have to get all wow. the aid like at convenience stores. Along <laughs> the way. Kind of sounds very similar to a mild, just probably a more tame Barkley marathon, I bet. Yeah. But in the city, the yeah. city of Miami. And so, Especially yeah. the city of Miami. That's, that, that ought to be interesting because I'm sure there's some interesting neighborhoods and parts of the city. I mean, yeah, that that's pretty awesome. I've never heard of that one. I'll have to look yeah, into that's, that one. You, you mentioned the Miami 125. They do that yeah. very similarly. Do you get directions from aid station to aid station in that race. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I don't know if you knew it, but the race director, no. Lewis, he ran Daytona. He was at Daytona. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know that either. Wow. He's a really cool guy. Lewis Coco is his name. He's, he's on Instagram. He's the running ninja, but he teaches uh, Taekwondo and he's like a master Taekwondo master. But uh, he's a last year. He got third place male in uh, Daytona. This year he had some uh, issues and I forgot what was he sick to his stomach or something so he was a good bit slower than he was last year but but he's a he's a badass ultra runner for sure he's a you know he's done a bunch of them and he race directs the Miami races they also just announced he and Twan who is Bob's uh right hand man the videographer and photographer uh just announced a new race that they're putting on called the Space Pirate 100 which runs from Cape Canaveral down to the Treasure Coast down there at Jensen Beach, just above uh, Fort Lauderdale. Yep. Yes. But anyway, sounds like the Florida's got a lot of nice, nice races, which is well. I yeah. mean, Florida's a big state too. I'd say it's right, right down the road from you. But hell, that's a good seven, eight-hour drive, I'm sure, for you. Yeah. Down there. Yeah. You know, I try. I've tried really hard to keep my podcast national or international. But I've done so many episodes focusing on Florida people and Florida races that I miss out on a lot of the Western uh, audience because of that. But I, just recently, I talked to a lady from Canada who was the female winner of the Triple Crown of 200s. <coughs> wow. And, no uh, kidding. That's a hell of a feat right there. That's, yeah. yeah what's, she, uh, what's her name? Are Teresa, you Teresa Nielsen. Okay. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard of her. Yeah. yeah, she this so this year she got you know the cumulative time from all three races. She was the female winner for that by she won by like over 20 hours, I believe. Holy smokes, that's it, insane. She, she was a beast, and she would she would you know, and I, I need to wrap it up, but I'll just tell you, she you know, I was asking her, you know, because when she talked about the races that she'd done and where she lives and trains. I said, well, do you look at when you're looking at a race to decide if you want to do it or not? Do you look at elevation charts? 
She said, oh, absolutely. I look at them. I pick the ones that have the most elevation. <laughs> a lot of people, you know, they pick the ones that have the least elevation, but yeah. she looks for the toughest. And so I really like that. She certainly found them between, you know, that Bigfoot and uh forgot right. what the other one is. Not the Moab. Moab's got some crazy elevation, but Tahoe and the other one, uh, yeah. Once you start getting out there in the Middle West, it's it's crazy with that elevation gain. Not only just the gain itself, but the fact that the altitude that they are right. competing at. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Right. I, last uh, 2021 Memorial Day weekend, I did the Bryce Canyon 60K. No at, kidding. That's... It, it started at around 7,000 feet. Elevation. Yeah. I looked up that race. It's up there. Yeah, you're 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 at the start line, gasping for air, ready before you leave. It's that's it high crazy. up. And I didn't. Yeah. I got there like two days before the race, so I didn't have enough time to acclimate. But it really wasn't that bad. I mean, I, my fingers swole up some, you know. Uh-huh. But and I was definitely, I probably gassed. You know, it was. That I couldn't have done the 50 miler that day. 60k was all I had in me, but and that's so impressive. But man, it was uh, it was some serious. It was a lot of elevation gain, but it was also very steep, you know. And I had not really experienced anything that steep before. There was one climb, and it was in the first five miles that you basically had to be hands and knees because you couldn't walk up it. You know what? It was. It oh was yeah, crazy. yeah. That's what I'm really worried about. This this one I signed up for the Tahoe uh, Rim Trail. They give you an elevation profile, aid station, aid station, and at mile nine. It's 4,400 feet of elevation gain from start to mile nine. And so I'm thinking <laughs> probably very similar where I wonder if I'm going to be crawling. Because <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking like, I don't understand how that's possible to have an elevation gain like that in nine miles, but we'll find out. I'm, I'm honestly more worried about the last nine miles because you know how it is when you're so beat up. I'm worried about coming down that and then going up it truthfully. Yeah. But you, you know, when you see that, and especially being an analytical type, uh, just like several of the races I did, like I did a Big Sur Marathon this year in April, and there's a four-mile stretch there that gains like 1,200 miles or something like that, 2,200 miles, I think it was. It was a significant hill. And uh, so, you know, what I did was, you know, I started out with uh, one mile, you know, I would do a treadmill workout where I would do one mile with the uh, hill, the elevation set at that, at that slope, you know, basically that grade. And I worked my way up to where I did, I was doing like five, six, seven miles at that grade in training for it. And so it wouldn't be so daunting when I got to the race, you know. That's smart. Yeah, that's definitely a good idea. And there's one thing I did learn from Mr. Goggins in his book is I am definitely going to spring for some nice trekking poles because after reading that, I was like... That sounds like it's life-changing for sure. I'm definitely yeah, going to get some I got later. some. I did a, a Georgia Jewel, a race up in the Georgia mountains last, last Yeah, last I, read, I looked up that race. That's no slouch either. That's a good yeah. one. And I uh, I bought me some good ones, some black diamond Z-poles. They fold up real small with like a Z. And uh, Salomon makes a little quiver that you can wear, attach it to your hydration pack, or you can wear it over your shoulder like a quiver of arrows. And you oh. can, and you can put your poles in there because there's a, you know, when you're going downhill, you don't want to have to carry those suckers the whole way. Oh, for sure. And yeah, so, if you 
if you wouldn't mind when we get off this, if you if you really recommend them, if you can shoot me a link on Instagram or shoot me a text, I would love to check those out because I I don't have a pair and I don't even know where to begin. Uh, but if you if you like yours, I mean that's a good enough testimonial for me. We will do. Yeah, it's worth you know. There's the carbon ones are a lot more lightweight, and it's definitely worth the extra money to get the lightweight ones for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, I I believe I learned that lesson. Uh, to, to get back to the, my bike expedition across South America, I skimped on the carbon frame for a bike. And after a few weeks in, I really regretted going with an aluminum frame. So now I'm, I'm huge on, on the weight difference, even if it's just a couple pounds. I mean, with uh, these t- trekking poles, I tell people like, imagine if I hand you a two pound dumbbell it feels really light right now, but you come holler at me after a marathon, that two pound <laughs> dumbbell feels like you're carrying like a, a, a baby. I'm sure it's, yeah. It makes all the difference. Yeah. It's the little things. The little yeah, things. Absolutely. Well, Billy, it's been a great uh, honor talking to you. I had a good time. Uh, I, I feel, you know, I, I say this every time. I could talk for hours and hours about <laughs> races, and that's why I have a podcast, because I get to do that, and uh, and I enjoy, you know, doing it and, and seeing what other people's passions are. And uh, so it's it's going to probably take me a couple of weeks to get this put together. I got two more that are recorded that I haven't put out yet, but I'll send you a, a message uh, when it um, when it comes out. Please do, and hopefully, I get to cross paths again someday. If not at the coastal Georgia Greenway, I notice you're going to the Havilene 100. Is that right? Yep, I am. That's in uh, the Halloween weekend. Yeah, that's a bucket list one for me. Even if I get to maybe volunteer or watch, I know two people I met at. What the Rio del Lago race that are doing it too? Maybe I can introduce you. They're great people. They they're fast. They ran sub twenty fours. But there's a lot of people that I know that are doing that in on Instagram. It looks like such a fun just party. Not even a race, just a party. That I'd love to just even be a part of it. So if I don't see you, in maybe a couple months. Hopefully, I can maybe catch you out there. I'd love to to meet up with you again someday. Yeah, sounds good. Well, I have a goal to do a race all over, and I've not done Texas. Yet I actually had my eye on uh, Bandera, but it's just too soon after they yeah. talk to me. Oh, especially after COVID too. You'd be, right. be a, a beast to overcome that and then come on down here because that that trail is no slouch though either. I don't, yeah. It's chew you up. Well, I'll uh, definitely look you up when I come that way and and you know reach out to me when you're headed this way for for Georgia because I definitely would like to come over there and cheer you on and help you reach that goal. I appreciate you, Marty. Will do, sir. Okay, man. You have a good night. Take it easy. Take care. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Wow. What an awesome chat with Billy. I know I always say that, but man, I just really enjoy hearing people's stories and, and letting them talk about the things that they're passionate about. And it's really awesome when the same things that they're passionate about, I'm passionate about too. And I just really enjoy that. And I hope you enjoy it too. And uh, until next time, I hope you have a wonderful day. I want to sincerely thank you for running your miles with Marty today. I know there's a lot of choices out there and it means a lot to me that you chose to run or ride with me. I hope you enjoyed the show. If so, give us a review. Hit that subscribe button and spread the word just like that running community love. We're on social media at Miles with Marty Podcast, and you can email us at mileswithmartypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, Squirrels Nut Butter. Spread the lube at squirrelsnutbutter.com. Yeah.